occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> hey, welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 28. I'm Abby. I'm Kate. We'll be your ghostesses on this fine day. Fine, lovely day. That what are you covering is. today? I am covering the West Memphis Three. It's a murder, trial, investigation, true crime thingamajiggy. A lovely mashup, if you will. <laughs> what about you? I'm talking about the first properly accounted for alien abduction. None of our listeners are surprised. I mean, I know they're not because they've seen the title, but no one, no one was surprised. When Maybe they saw you that. click the episodes without looking, and you're like, "Wow, I want a surprise." If so, are you surprised? <laughs> no, no one is. It's going to be super interesting. I promise. It's going to blow your tiny little mind. Ah, yes, all of our stupid people listening. I meant you, Kate. Oh, oh thanks. <laughs> you weren't offended about me calling all of our listeners. One clever host and one dumb head. Hi, I'm Abby, and this is my assistant. I hate you so much. Okay, anything you want to talk about before we get into it? Uh, yes, I want to say thank you for letting us do Tuesday releases. Uh, I know you didn't really have that much say in it, but we haven't got any hate mail from it. And it's really good because we're, like we've said, doing lots of support for the community during COVID. So it just gives us a day to focus on that and then a day to get everything prepared for the podcast. Speaking of preparing everything for the podcast, we have recently gone through all of our Patreon and just scrapped all of the tiers there's no tier system, so you can just put in how much you want to send to us a month. If you are able to support us on Patreon, please, please do. It is the best way to show your support for us. We don't make money from the show because, you know, we're not big enough for consistent ads. But we put hours into this a week for the research, production, distribution. So we'd love to be able to make this even better for you. And for us to make it our jobs, to be honest, because we love doing it. And we know that you love listening. So you can pick as much or as little as you want from a dollar upwards. So it can literally be less than buying a coffee a month or your Spotify subscription or Netflix or whatever. And as a reward for being a Patreon, you get things like extra stories, behind the scenes, extra episodes, kind of like a secret social media that no one else knows about, except you all know about it. <laughs> so you can do that at patreon.com forward slash myths magic murder. Lovely, lovely. Let's talk about aliens. Woo-hoo. So, I'm sure you are familiar with the term alien abduction. It's when an alien comes to Earth and just grabs you. Yeets you out the window. Just kidnaps you. Does some stuff. So, I'm going to talk about the first publicised claim by Betty and Barney Hill. Okay. I'm sorry their names are Betty and Barney. It was hard to... I knew it was going to be hard to keep saying it, but like that's their names. There's nothing I can do about it. So my sources are history.com, skeptoid.com, uh, liveabout.com, Wikipedia, and Finding UFO on YouTube. Okie dokie. So what do you expect if you're going to get abducted by aliens? I'm expecting, right? First of all, I'm mainly expecting a cow to get abducted rather than human. Are you calling yourself a cow because I asked what happens if you were to get abducted? Rude. And, okay, I'm a stupid cow. Thanks, Ab. Anyway, (laughs) 
Um, but if a human were to get abducted, I don't know, I would think it's late at night or like early hours of the morning, a green light comes through the window, you know, it like lifts you up and carries you out somehow of like an open door, an open window, and like you get beamed up onto like a UFO, like you know, the flying saucer type looking thing. And then you're on that, and then some huge, long, different coloured alien people start like opening you up and having a look, probing you, that kind of thing. What's funny is that I wrote maybe psychological and physical experimentation, but you gave me a full story from start to finish. It's like you don't know me. (laughs) I'm here for it. So the first known reported case of alien abduction was in 1896 but the term wasn't used until the mid-1900s and only grew more popular from the Betty and Barney Hill abduction story. So Betty and Barney were an American couple, and they told their story in 1961. And for later, it's also important to note that Barney was black and Betty was white, which was uncommon at the time. Mm-hmm. Just to remember. So they lived in New Hampshire, and he was a postman and she was a social worker. They were also community leaders, and Barney was on the local board for the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Mm. On September 19th, 1961, the couple were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls, and they claimed to have observed a bright light in the sky. It was half ten at night. (gasps) Alien. Like your story. Oh my god. It's all coming to life. The light seemed to travel around the sky, and while Barney was driving, Betty said that she was watching a falling star. However, the star began getting bigger and brighter, so Betty asked Barney to pull over so they could go have a closer look and take their dog for a little walk. (laughs) Kind of break up the journey. Right, okay. If I saw a giant falling star, I would think meteor, not, oh, let's go have a look. Come on, Pippin. And because I knew you might ask, the dog was called Delcy, and from the photo, she looked like a fat little sausage dog. (laughs) Baby! But I could be wrong. Photos will be answered. Please tell me this animal doesn't die. No, I mean, she probably is now, obviously. But at the time, no, she wasn't Thank God. taken for this fat little sausage baby. I think she was a sausage dog. But if she was, then she was fat. <laughs> Which is fine, I guess. I don't know. This isn't my dog. I'm not pet shaming you. <laughs> so Barney pulled over to the picnic area and they got out and they brought their binoculars with them. Looking through them, Betty observed an odd-shaped UFO travel across the face of the moon. She knew it was a UFO, because a year earlier, her sister said that she'd seen a flying saucer, so she kind of figured she was seeing the same thing. Travel across the face of the moon? I think, like, she means in front of the moon. Oh, I was like, how good are her binoculars? Rather than, like, pulling out, you know, like in cartoons, and they pull it out, and it's just their whole eye <laughs> in the shape, and she's just seeing someone, like, sprint across the moon. I think right. she meant in so she means, like, it. panning across the sky in front of the moon. Presumably, yeah. Right. Barney took the binoculars off her, and he was like, it's a commercial airliner. But then it started rapidly coming towards him. (laughs) So they got in their car as quick as they could, and they drove away towards a narrow stretch of roads. The two drove down the isolated road slowly, so they could observe the saucer in the sky. At one point, it passed over the signal tower of a mountain, and Betty recalled that it was at least one and a half times bigger than the cliff profile, which was 40 feet long. They also noticed that it was rotating. Just as a side piece of information. You seem bored. (laughs) No, I'm listening. A little while later, the object rapidly descended towards their vehicle. So Barney stopped in the middle of the highway. 
The huge silent hovercraft hovered around 80 feet above their car. Barney said it was like a huge pancake. He also gave more descriptions of it and he drew a photo later, which will also be on social media. He carried his pistol in his pocket and he moved closer to the object. He looked up at the UFO through the binoculars and recalled seeing that several humanoid figures were looking back at him. He said that they were wearing glossing black uniforms and black caps and they were somehow not human. They communicated a message telling him to stay still and to keep looking at them. Why? For what? So they can grab him. Why keep looking at him though? I guess so they could keep him distracted. <laughs> While they grab him? Don't look over there! Well yeah, because they didn't want him to leave. Psst! Psst, 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 psst. Don't call him like a cat. <laughs> the craft got closer to Barney and he ran back to his car. He was hysterical and he said to Betty, they're going to capture us. He drove down the highway at high speed and asked Betty to look out for the object. She rolled down the window and they heard a rhythmic series of beeping sounds which bounced off their car. They said a tingling sensation passed through their bodies and then they experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dull. Then they found that they travelled almost 35 miles but had only vague memories of the road. They made a sudden unplanned turn and encountered a roadblock observing a fiery orb in the road. Fiery orb? Yeah. So suddenly they were driving down the road, they black out, kind of, and then suddenly they've travelled 35 miles. Yeah, I got that. That wasn't the question. The question was fiery orb. And then there was a fiery orb (laughs) just on the road. The couple arrived back to their house at dawn, recalling some odd sensations that they couldn't explain. Their watches never walked again. The fabric on their binoculars were torn and the toes of his shoes were scrapped. They had some odd impulses, so Betty refused to bring the luggage into the house and left it by the door. And Barney was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, but he didn't find anything unusual. So then they showered to wash away any contamination and they both drew a picture of what they saw. I like that she was just like, don't bring the luggage in. He was like, my dick fell off. They tried to reconstruct a timeline of what happened, but as soon as they heard the buzzing sounds of the UFO in their memories, it kind of became incomplete. So as soon as they heard that, nothing from there. Everything else is just kind of patches. Mm -hmm. The next morning, Betty went to put her clothes that she was wearing from that night into her closet, but she noticed that the dress was badly torn and had pink powder on it. So she hung it outside, but it was too damaged to keep. Right. But then later on, she changed her mind and took it back so that she could send it to labs for testing. Oh, fair enough. I was going to say, like, (laughs) why would you not figure out what that pink powder was? She just let it blow off. Cool. Nice one, Betty. You don't want that pink powder. Get off. (laughs) Also, the car had shiny circles on its trunk that hadn't been there the day before. And when they got close to the spot with a compass, the needle would spin around rapidly. Why? Why were they going with, with a compass? To have a look. What? They'd just been abducted by aliens. Did they have to figure out the route to get to the car? <sighs> they were just Stop testing. It. Stop it. It said that they experimented by doing that. I'm not having it. Betty phoned her close friend, Major Paul Henderson, who worked at a nearby Air Force base. She didn't tell him all the details so that he didn't think she was crazy, but she did report the sighting to him. Mm-hmm. And her description of the aircraft matched with two similar reports of a UFO from another Air Force base. <laughs> 
Air Force Air Force. Bob. And they were You're all the alien. <laughs> they were all recorded together in Project Blue Book, which is the US Air Force's UFO research project. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, Betty started having nightmares. In the nightmares, she would be taken on board an alien aircraft. Medical experiments would be performed on her. The nightmares happened every night, but abruptly stopped after five days when she finally mentioned them to Barney. He was sympathetic, but he wasn't overly concerned, and she decided to not bring it up to him again. He actually at one point described it as nonsense, which is crazy to think about that he was sceptical, even though he saw a UFO. I mean, there's a difference between seeing something weird in the sky and thinking that you've been taken on board a UFO and, like, prodded, you know? True, yeah. So she began writing down all the details of the dreams, where they encountered a roadblock and that strange men surrounded the car. She was then slowly being walked through the forest by the strange men, and she called to Barney, but when she turned around, she noticed that he was in a trance or sleepwalking. The aliens were about five foot four and wore matching blue uniforms and caps similar to military cadets. They were nearly human, with black eyes and dark hair. They they had prominent noses and bluish lips, and their skin was a greyish colour. The examiner in the dream, so like, the examiner alien, Mm -hmm. he communicated to Betty that they would conduct some tests to define the differences between humans and their species. And they sat her on a chair and shone a bright light on her. The man examined her ears, eyes, mouth, teeth. Teeth. <laughs> teeth. Oh my god. God, it's like teeth the lamb again. <laughs> teeth and throat. They also cut off some of her hair and took fingernail trippings. Tripping. Oh my god, what's wrong with me? Trimmings. Are you okay? Do you want to find a new profession? <laughs> what year was this again? I've forgotten. 1961. Okay. The man then used a dull knife to scrape off some of her skin onto something that resembled cellophane. He then tested her nervous system by putting a needle into her belly button, which caused her agonising pain. But the leader of the men waved his hands in front of her eyes and the pain vanished. The examiner left the room and Betty tried to engage in conversation with the leader. She picked up a book with strange symbols on it and the leader said that she could have the book. Which is pretty sound. Mm Mm-hmm. She asked where he came from, and he showed her a map with stars on it. Then Betty says that in her dream, the men were escorting the couple from the spaceship when they had a disagreement. And the leader said that she was no longer able to keep the book, as the other men did not want her to remember the encounter. Betty said that no matter what they did to her memory, she would recall it someday. They were then taken to their car, and the leader suggested that they should wait to watch the aircraft depart. And they did so, and then resumed their drive. Sounds like quite a nice lad. I mean, that might be how he got them to forget it. Maybe. You know what I mean? It's like in Men in Black, where they've got the, um, whatever it's called. Beep Super. The, it's called. The, the light thing that makes you forget your memory. Yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, that would make up for the lost time if the dream was what happened. After this, Betty started borrowing books about UFOs from local libraries. And they report all they could remember to UFO research groups. They were obviously doing a bunch of interviews with UFO experts and seeking medical advice to get this story out, but mostly just to find out what the hell happened. I can imagine, like, if you experienced this, it would change your entire existence. Mm-hmm. After talking with the NICAP, the National Investigations Committee of Aerial Phenomena, 
they mentioned that they didn't recall the 35-mile drive and that they arrived at their house at the time that they did. The experts noted that they should have taken four hours to make the drive, but they arrived home seven hours later. They also mentioned the fiery orb that they saw on the ground when they became fully conscious again, and they said it was probably just the moon. I'm not really sure. Sorry? A fiery orb on the ground is the moon. Yeah, I couldn't quite work out what they meant by that, but they thought it was the moon, but the NICAP were like, the moon had set earlier that evening, so it could never have been the moon. Oh, maybe they mean like in a puddle they saw it. Like a reflection? Yeah. Possibly, yeah. I don't know. Or like on the horizon, maybe? Yeah. But, I don't don't know. Or in the sky? That's where the moon normally is, so I wouldn't wouldn't find that very weird. For some reason, when I was imagining it, I was imagining it on the ground. Yeah, me too. But it's because you said there was, the road was blocked off and there was a fiery orb. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I wasn't there. Anyways, the experts recommended that they undergo hypnosis to help them remember what happened and mm-hmm. to help Betty put her dreams to rest. Mm-hmm. So they went under hypnosis uh, to recall what happened that night and it was re- performed by a man called Benjamin Simon. And there is a video of it on YouTube. It's just the tape recordings. It's 40 minutes but it is very compelling if you're sceptical. It is very interesting. I'm sure you're already aware of how hypnosis has helped to like solve crimes and stuff before. You're not aware of it? You don't believe it? Um, We'll talk about this afterwards, because I have a case that I want to talk to you about if you don't believe it. Okay. Anyway, they were hypnotised separately, but described nearly identical experiences of being taken aboard their spacecraft by what we now know now as the grey aliens. Oh, I have mentioned them it's before. them again, the polite boys. The ones that you expect when you think about aliens, they're grey, got big old eyes. The ones from Heaven's Gate. The ones from everything. The ones that you put online for Area 51, no? Possibly. I think so. If you draw an alien, it's what these guys are. Both of them had many tests done. And Betty was shown a map of the stars, which she could later memorise and reproduce later. And she identified where the aliens came from, which was Zeta Reticuli. I love that you wrote that down, even though you've, <laughs> you've been struggling speaking this episode. You're like, ah, I didn't expect Zeta that I was going to mess up the word throat or whatever it was. Teeth. Teeth. Zeta Reticuli. Teeth. <laughs> anyway, Barney up ne- under hypnosis recalled the human figures and he was super emotional and he was frightened when he was talking about them. He said that he was so scared that he kept his eyes closed for most of the examination. He also said that he ripped his binoculars when he was running back to the car and when he was driving he felt compelled to turn off into a patch of woodland. When he got out the car he saw six men in the dirt road. The men approached the car and said to not fear them. Barney describes the beings the same way that Betty did under hypnosis and said their eyes had a terrifying, mesmerising effect. During his sessions, he would often break down and say things like, those eyes, they're in my brain, and all I see are these eyes, they're pressing against my eyes. Uh Uh-huh. Not sure what that means, but sounds creepy. Barney uh, then recalled that they were taken into the spacecraft, and he was taken to an exam table that was really short. Mm Mm-hmm. His memory of the exam table was less detailed than Betty's because he kept his eyes closed the entire time. 
He says that a cup-like device was placed over his genitals and he thinks a sperm sample may have been taken. The men scraped his skin as the same as Betty and looked into his mouth. A thin tube was inserted into his anus before being quickly removed and they examined his spine. How do you examine a spine? They, like, counted. Oh, like a chiropractor. Barney said that he heard them speaking in a mumbling language but that he understood them in English. Right. How... If they're mumbling, how could you decipher Well, Betty also mentioned this, and he said it seemed to be through thought transference because they were not familiar with the term telepathy. But they both mentioned that they didn't see the being's mouth move when they were speaking English. So they'd be talking through telepathy. But if they were mumbling, why would they... To each other. Oh, so how could he hear it? When they talked to him. So the aliens would be on the spaceship. Yeah, but how would he hear them mumbling if they're talking to each other? Because they're not trying to telepathically speak to him. Because he can see him mumbling. But they're not moving their mouths. No, they're not moving their mouths when they speak English. Oh, he can So he can see them on the spaceship talking to each other in mumble. Oh, right. And then when they talk to him, they just look at him and then right. they would hear, he would hear the words and they both, had, they both said the same thing, but they weren't familiar with that. So right. maybe they didn't make it up, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. I get you. Barney also recalled being taken from the ship back to his car and that he watched the ship leave. So the recollection is obviously surprisingly, strikingly similar to her dream. Mm-hmm. Under hypnosis, Betty said the same sort of things, but they had a completely different appearance under hypnosis in comparison to her dreams. Betty demonstrated considerable emotional distress when talking about her capture, so Benjamin ended the session early because she was crying so much. After the sessions, Benjamin uh, reinstated amnesia until talking about it didn't upset them so much, Mm -hmm. and the sessions lasted for around six months. Afterwards, Barney was able to accept that he'd been abducted, but he was never able to embrace it the way that Betty was. Right. Well, I guess he was more in denial the whole way along. Exactly. She was borrowing books and writing everything down. (laughs) He was just like, time to get on with my day. Yeah. Since they were able to talk about it, they agreed to do interviews with UFO researchers, but they made no effort to find publicity. They just went back to their everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Barney died several years later in 1969 from a brain bleed. And Betty died in 2004, but she never remarried. Oh, I know. Sweet. What's interesting as well is people who study UFOs and abductions have made a lot of comparisons between this case and other recorded cases. Mm-hmm. Things like medical examinations, missing times, and these aliens obviously then became a statement in pop culture. Yeah. And this story was huge, and it still is in the UFO community. And plenty of skeptics have tried to debunk it. But they stayed true to their story the whole time. They never tried to tell people about it, but if people asked questions, they would always say the same things. And some people say that it could be like sleep paralysis or like hallucinations, but it seems kind of elaborate, I guess. Mm-hmm. Also, because they were a mixed couple, they didn't really want any more attention than they already had. Yeah. But it could be a story. It could be vivid dreams. It could be... I don't know. Interested to hear what your takes are. But you should listen to the uh, the hypnosis tape if you're able to. It is 40 minutes long, but quite interesting. Okay. Um, did they have any injuries? 
afterwards? After the alien thing? I don't think so. Okay. Why? Because it was like, maybe when they got out of the car or something, they had an accident. You know? Maybe like, they fell or they got attacked by something. You know? I don't know what that something is, but it could explain like the pink powder. It could have been like rock dust. It would explain the trauma. Maybe they tried to explain it away by something else. Like maybe they were big alien fanatics anyway. The idea of aliens has been there since like the 1600s or whatever. It's been there for ages. So maybe they just liked that because aliens were already in media before that. So maybe that was easier for them to understand than whatever happened to them. They didn't, I don't think they had any injuries. Yeah. Or maybe they had like scuffs, which you, I presumably from being handled by the aliens being medically examined, but there was no like, nothing wrong with them. True. Maybe. Right. Bear with me. So they got out of their car, whatever, with their dog. Yeah. They fell. They were walking and they fell because they were looking at this thing in the sky so their clothes were tattered their binoculars were scuffed there was dust on the clothes right caused trauma they went to hospital because someone saw a car on the side of the road and was like there's no one in it where are they so they phoned an ambulance and then they were on like being checked over but they were fine so they got discharged Went home. There was a lot of trauma. They were big alien believers. They thought that was the best way to do it. And then where she spent so long looking into aliens and everything to try and explain it as that, she then just solidified it in her mind. And obviously if you're married to someone, if you're living together, he's going to hear her talking about aliens all the time. Bam. Is that what you truly believe? Or is that just an accumulation that you're trying to come up with? It's just a possibility. Like, I don't know. I haven't been abducted, so I don't know. Yeah. It sounds pretty credible. It sounds more credible than other alien experiences I've heard of before. It is incredibly uh, interesting and credible. It does make me believe it. But there are some things that... I don't really understand. Like what? Why them? They were just out. They were just out? Where did their dog go? In the car still. They didn't take the dog. So he was just dog in was a... fine. They were just dog was just in the car. He was just in a hot car with the windows up. No, they rolled the window down. Oh, the aliens also. rolled the windows no, down. No, they rolled the window <laughs> down when they heard the beeping noise to see the spaceship. Also, why does that matter? The dog was just in the car for like a couple hours. What, if it took seven hours longer? It took three hours longer. Oh, it was seven hours instead of four. Hmm. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. Why doesn't it make sense? Because surely you would pick two people that couldn't escape. Like, I know they didn't. 
but they were in a car they were traveling you know they could have just kept driving the aliens did not know that they were going to turn like pull over and have a look no but if you're in an alien spaceship which presumably goes really fucking fast yeah and you see you see people a man and a woman of different skin colors alone in the middle of nowhere you might be like hmm if we're going to experiment on someone this might be a great opportunity. True, but scientifically speaking, if you were trying to see like the differences, surely you would pick a white couple and a black couple and an Asian couple. Do you know what I mean? So you can see the gender differences and then cross-reference that with skin like well, nationality differences. They could have just experimented on multiple people. And they just remembered it because they were driving. I guess that if you're being abducted from your bed, for example, like your story at the beginning, Mm -hmm. you leave your window open, the alien sucks you out of your window or whatever happens, Mm -hmm. then like you might just remember it as a dream where it's because they were outside and they were traveling. There was that missing time where they were like, what just happened? We were in a car. I just saw something weird. And now it's been three hours. Yeah, but if the aliens were hellbent on them not remembering, why would you pick that? You know, why would you pick um, a travelling couple who will notice the last time? Because they weren't hell-bent on remembering, if you remember. The leader didn't mind them remembering. It was, I mean, in the in the dream at least. Yeah. Which could have been... But then by know, the end of it, he didn't want them to remember. It wasn't him, it was the others who didn't want them to remember. So he was like, sorry guys. <laughs> yeah. At that point, it's too late, you've already done it. I get what you're saying, but equally, if you're on a big alien spaceship, I don't know how the alien hierarchy works, but why would you go against everyone else just to pick one couple that's traveling? Why wouldn't you be like, all right, yeah, let's go just find another couple in bed? Well, you don't know that they, they kidnap people from bed. But why would they not? It seems so much easier. Because they were out on the road by themselves. You might as well just get them. I suppose, but if they're super fucking fast, like you say... I guess. It just seems like a, a weird kind of thing to question. Mm. Why would it matter? If they if they want those people, they're gonna de- they're gonna get them. Or like why not hiker? There are enough hikers. Or campers. At ten PM. Yeah. You get people going for like evening hikes. Maybe not ten PM, but like you get people camping in tents and stuff. They're Surely easy to spot if they're in a car with, with headlights on the road by themselves, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. There are some... Maybe it's because she'd already seen it and was like, look, a UFO, and they were like, oh. But she still remembered it. I thought you said the leader didn't mind them remembering. So why would he be like, oh. We might as well just get that one. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not sure if I believe it or not. It, Like I say, it is more valid, I suppose, than other ones that I've heard. And it's good that there were two of them and they both thought that. But equally, he didn't think it for ages. He thought it, he just, I don't think he wanted to voice it. How do you know that? You don't know him. (laughs) No, but like if they both had the exact same thing where they saw the spaceship and he said that he saw aliens, he said that he saw them and that he saw the spaceship, he just refused to admit that he'd been abducted. He admitted that he he saw them. Yeah, but a lot of people have seen aliens. There are, that's a kind of separate thing you know there are lots of different explanations for like what people might have seen and stuff but like this specific topic of alien abduction I feel like if he was so hesitant to say that it happened 
and his wife's there, an absolute, you know, tinfoil hat loving alien woman with like 28 books on him. Me. <laughs> then, you know, I feel like he might have subconsciously kind of gathered information from what she was telling him. Because that's what happens, isn't it? Like, I now believe in things because you have told me things repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like vice versa. So perhaps it was more social than actually having happened. Do you know what I mean? Perhaps. I just think... I think it's kind of into two separate categories here because they both saw the same thing. And I'm sure if you ask the dog, the dog would be like, what? I just saw a spaceship. You know? They oh, both, don't get me wrong. I'm they both sure drew they... drew the same drawer and they both saw it. They both saw that they saw that people. So, like, I'm why sure would that they be... saw a spaceship, yeah. But and so is everyone. And it was, like, 50 feet above them. Why would you be like, it didn't take me. I was just out for three hours. I don't know. I just think it's really narcissistic to be like why would an alien not take me if it's so close maybe it doesn't want you i don't think you. it was that i think it was more the fact that they were having she was having horrific nightmares and then they went to hypnosis and they were crying and they could they were having a really hard time maybe she was just troubled both of them they were both very upset by the whole thing and he you maybe know, he was upset because he was sick of hearing his wife talk about aliens they think it's me whenever, whenever you talk about aliens, I'm like, not again. They think that the people in the UFO expert group, I can't remember what the name was, who were talking to him about it before they hypnotized him, that he had less. So she was having the nightmares because she was unconscious like the whole time. Like she had her eyes open. She was trying to talk to the aliens. Like she was trying to be like, what's happening? Whereas he just shut his eyes and switched off and was like, I'm not here. Which was why they had a harder time breaking into him when they were doing hypnosis. It's very weird. I don't know. I'm not about to argue with you for hours on this. I just don't know. You don't think that it's an alien? I don't not think it's an alien. What else could it be, Kate? I've explained it's to you. It's an alien. They went for a walk. They oh, fell. Oh, God. They didn't <laughs> fall and then they saw an alien. Yeah. Okay. That's not even what I said. I think what's interesting, though, is that they were all wearing, like, cadet uniforms. Squad. Well, yeah, if it was like a recon alien, it's probably like alien army. I know, but it's it's kind of cute. Or right? like alien science. It's dope. Do you want to do the scale? Yeah. All right. How scary do you think this is? One. One? Yeah. I don't think I would be that scared, I'm going to be honest to you, because they didn't hurt them. It's not like they cut them open to find out what was in them. You wouldn't be scared if you got abducted by aliens, is what you're trying to tell me here. I honestly, I'm not saying it to sound like wild on the podcast. I feel like you are. But it's not something that scares me at all. If it happened, I'd be like, Abby, this has happened. And you would like, shake your pants. But. I think it's more just like, you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know what they're going to look like. It's something that you could, you've never really seen before. Yeah, at the time... And then they're going to do medical experiments. I might be scared, but... I fear going to the dentist. Mm, I just, I don't think... If I had this experience, I don't think I would be scared. If they were talking to you... They seemed quite nice. If they, Yeah, if they were saying, don't be scared. You know, if this guy was saying, like, here's a book. You know, oh, now we're just going to, like, swab your tongue. Yeah, well, he was... The alien leader was, like... 
she was like, where are you from? And he was like, here. You know, on the yeah, map. exactly. I don't think I'd be scared of these aliens. It's not like War of the Worlds aliens, is it? They do seem quite polite. Yeah. That is true. I think it's just a, quite a scary experience to think about, like the idea of just getting taken by this entirely otherworldly species and then them doing medical experiments. If I think it's just, you know the story now, you know nothing happened to them, mm-hmm. but if you were on there and they were like, we're going to do some experiments now to find the difference between humans and us, you'd be like, um, excuse me, All right, I'll are raise, you going to rip my organs out? I'll raise the fear to three then, because you don't know what's going to happen at the time. But it it's not scary. What happened to them is not scary. Oh yeah, I just... I mean, that's what I was trying to say. Like, you wouldn't know if they were, were going to do experiments on you. Let's put you on this table. I think I would shit. What's the next question? Danger. One. How dangerous. One. It's not dangerous. They just want to know. They're just having a time looking around. Likelihood that they were abducted by aliens. I don't know. I always feel so bad when I don't believe wholeheartedly in something you tell me because you're always like, oh, Kate's a skeptic. But. I believe in this completely. I know you do. Of course you do. It's aliens, but I well, don't know. I think the thing is, is that like, aliens fucking exist, man. There is so much proof for them. Like, and I, you know, I don't understand if they've been here. You know, which you can explain through lots of different ideas of why they've been here before. Why would they not experiment on people? Surely they'd want to see what what makes you different. If they have the technology, I just. They were nice about it. It doesn't make sense. Like, why would they not? And they saw the spaceship. It all seems quite credible. I am just not sure. I'm not sure because I don't know. I don't think that hypnosis is very valid. So that's okay. that's that bit out of the window. You know, I'm sorry if you do. I do not. But so there's that. And there's also the kind of idea that if aliens have got this higher level intellect and scientific ability from you know they can build a ufo you know that's crazy they can travel to other planets they can telepathically communicate but they've still got to swab your tongue i feel like there would just be a better way to do it you know it's like at the airport right when you stand in the thing with your hands up and it scans you why could they not just do that why could they not do a mass scan of the world? Why would they have to beam you up, talk to you, take their time, take three hours doing these seemingly non-invasive procedures? It doesn't make sense. You can't have this super intellectual alien practicing 1900s medicine. Okay. I understand that idea that does make sense it just i don't know maybe they were taken by aliens and maybe you know they couldn't remember the rest that happened maybe that only took five minutes you know and they couldn't remember the rest maybe there were other things maybe they were fed maybe they were you know whatever yeah well i kind of presume that you know lots of stuff happened they had lots of different tests done and they could have done whatever but maybe they were only conscious for that part or whatever yeah and and tested that way maybe it's easier for the aliens to test you like that maybe maybe they remembered having a medical treatment but they couldn't remember what it was so their brain immediately went to what they already knew yeah and it just seems weird to me that they would know what was going on which i guess could be explained by that because i'm presuming 
all of this higher level scientific ability and they're using a cotton wool thing for your tongue. You know what I mean? It just doesn't, it doesn't add up. But I understand that you're trying to explain things knowing things you already know. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, she said, I think it's kind of half and half because she said that they, you know, they tested her throat and they looked at her hair and they cut some off, but also that they they had that skin scraping tool mm -hmm. on that paper stuff and she had that needle in her belly button and then he could make the pain go away mm -hmm. and he had um, that cup put on him when they took a sperm sample. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just don't know. I think... It's not the craziest thing you've ever told me on the podcast. <laughs> and I know that shouldn't come into it because you've told me some weird stuff. So I think for that reason, I'll say a three. Fair enough. But there are some questions I would love, you know, if I was born earlier, I would love to be able to talk to her about it and be like, right, sit me down. Explain everything in detail. Yeah, I would have been seven when she died. Yeah. So... It's unfortunate that we cannot, but you know, if I met someone that said they've been abducted by aliens, I wouldn't be like, hi, you're crazy. I'd be like, tell me everything and then we will chat. For sure. Yeah. I think I think it's just because I really do believe in aliens and I believe that they have been here before and I believe because the story is so credible, they both match up mm -hmm. and I believe that hypnosis can do some crazy things. So I kind of feel like it would make sense. Yeah. But I'm not a hundred percent and that's how it happened yeah you know what i mean mm -hmm. definitely okay what are your alternative explanations they fell and uh, hit the head was that one of them yeah say like other trauma instead because that's what i mean by that um maybe the dog was an alien i'm not having and this she stop caused talking no i quit hallucinations <laughs> oh thanks for joining in guys uh maybe they both ate something really bad don't beforehand. listen before bed <laughs> Maybe they both had severe mental issues. Okay. Maybe they both were hallucinating at the same time. Maybe it, you know, like riling each other up. Okay. Maybe she sort of willed it to happen through the amount of education she was getting on it. Do you know what I mean? But like she only was getting that afterwards. Or do you mean she had a trauma and then started researching it? Well, yeah, or maybe she was also researching it before. We don't know what their lives were like before. Maybe they were True. both big sci-fi lovers, you know? True, yeah, it seemed fairly normal, but I understand where you're coming It's from. normal to like sci-fi, though. True. So, yeah, it's like when you watch a horror movie and you're like, I'm gonna die! Yeah. Maybe it was like that. How do I word that? Um... I don't even know. Confusing fiction with fact, maybe. Okay. Maybe they're on some mad drugs. With fact. Mad drugs. <laughs> and okay. that, that's all I've got for that. Well, did you enjoy the story? I did. It was very interesting. Super interesting, right? thought it'd be really fun for discussion. Yeah. And that it was. I feel like we've talked about this for seven hours. Yeah. Well, we'll stop there. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do that at MythsMagicPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It would be very good if you did that. It's free and great, and other people can find our podcast, and wow, so good to see all of our posts. Also, you can go to the website at MythsMagicAndMurder.Weebly.com. Fair enough. <laughs>
you can also email us because we love to hear from you, the listeners, and get your, I mean, we can get your feedback if you want to, but if you want to give us your haunted happenings, terrifying tales, and spooky stories, then you can email us mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com. Also, if you've got a minute, please give us a review on iTunes. That would be great. Yeah. Oh, we've also got the um, the Facebook page, but we've got the Facebook group as well. So if you want to see like spooky memes or, you know, just chat to the rest of the community. We all yeah. know you're there. So Cool, cool. Go on then, get into yours. Are you ready to learn about the West Memphis Three? Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> the sources are Wikipedia, New York Times, Daily Mail, Britannica, All That's Interesting, The Lineup, FamousTrials.com, and Arkansas Times. It's so hard not to say Arkansas, my goodness. Why you got why you got a state called Kansas and then one called Arkansas? America. Explain. You guys realise that's kinda dumb, right? <laughs> I'm gonna start my story this week by telling you about some children. Any reason? They die. Oh. Stevie Edward Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore were all eight-year-old boys who were best friends living in West Memphis. Stevie was the son of Stephen and Pamela Branch, but they divorced when he was young, so he lived with his mum and his stepdad, Terry Hobbs. Christopher was born to Melissa and Ricky, his parents also divorced, and he lived with his mother and adoptive father, John Mark Byers. Michael was born to Todd and Dana, who remained together. The boys were all described as very intelligent, friendly, and still behaving as normal eight-year-olds, you know, believing in Santa, going for bike rides, that kind of thing. If you're a child, Santa is real. Why you listen to this show? (laughs) They also all went missing on May the 5th, 1993. The first report that they'd gone missing was from Christopher's father, John Mark Byers, at 7pm. Three lots of neighbours reported that they'd seen them playing together until around half past six that night and they later saw Terry Hobbs, Stevie's stepfather, calling the boys to come home. Where it was late at night, and I'm presuming the police department was more of a rural one than a big city one, there wasn't that much of a search the night that it happened. Okay. However, they started up again at 8am the next morning. There was still no sign of the boys, and there was a large task force of volunteers, and they were, you know, doing prepared sweeps of different areas yeah until about 145 when a boy's shoe was seen floating in a muddy creek the ditch to the side of the creek was then searched and all three boys bodies were found they were all naked and had been hogtied with their own shoelaces christopher had injuries to his genitals and two pairs of underwear were never recovered the rest of the clothing was in the creek christopher had died of multiple injuries according to the coroner, but the other two boys had died of multiple injuries with drowning. Okay, this is pretty heavy. Yeah, well, it's not... That's kind of the heaviest bit. Okay. None of the boys were sexually abused. The police had their suspicions, obviously. Three young boys. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, none of that happened. Okay, good. And only one of the boys had drugs in his system, but on closer inspection, it was just his ADHD medication. Oh, right. Okay. So, that was all fine. So, let's go to the suspects. Police had three suspects in mind. Jesse Miss Kelly Jr., who's 17, Jason Baldwin, who's 16, and Damien Etchells, who's 18. 
None of the boys had particularly good reputations. Jason had vandalised, Damien had shoplifted, and Jesse had been in multiple fistfights with other teens at school. Jason was the only one still in school, as the other two had dropped out. Jason and Damien were close friends. They knew of Jesse from school, but they weren't close to him. It was more just like an acquaintance level. Some guy just in your school. Yeah. Damien was a poor child. He had lots of visits from social workers. He was troubled and had serious mental illnesses, which caused auditory and visual hallucinations, delusions of self, disordered thought process, processes, lack of insight, and mood swings. Okay, good to know. These weren't the only suspects, though. Chris Morgan and Brian Holland were also under close inspection. They left for California four days after the children's bodies were found. It's a little bit suspicious. <laughs> Chris was even known to be familiar with all three of the victims, as he was the ice cream man for their route. Sorry, you, you looked as if you were about to say something insightful and then you just bobbed your head. Yeah, I wasn't sure. They had to take polygraph tests and they both showed deception when denying involvement in the murders. Interesting, but also not sure how credible those are. Yeah, I've slagged off polygraph tests more than once. Yeah. Chris later confessed that he had a long history of dr drug and alcohol use, so he would black out and have memory lapses. So he said he might have killed the victims, but if he had, he couldn't remember. He quickly recanted this statement. It's a bit of a casual thing to say in this context. Yeah. Maybe I did it. <laughs> Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. You can't just say that. <laughs> no. Children are dead, Chris. Yeah, right? The final main suspect was Mr. Bojangles. Mr. Bojangles. <laughs> yeah. I wish that was my name. <laughs> it's not his name. So on the evening of the murder, workers in the Bojangles restaurant, about a mile from the crime scene, oh, okay. reported seeing a black man who looked mentally disoriented inside the restaurant's ladies' room. He was bleeding and he'd brushed against the restroom walls. By the time police arrived, he'd left and they didn't go inside the restroom. They just took the manager's statement and left. The police only went in there the day after the bodies of the boys had been found because the manager thought, oh, we're only a mile from there. There was that weird guy came in. There might be a connection. Makes sense. The manager gave the officers a pair of sunglasses that had been left behind that he thought belonged to Mr. Bojangles. And the officers scraped some blood samples off of the tiles in the bathroom. So that's just a nickname that he got because he was in that restaurant? Yeah. Okay. When you said the restaurant, I was like, oh, he's obviously the owner of the restaurant and they call him Mr. Bojangles. No, no, no. It's, it's just a nickname he got. The blood samples were lost. What? Oh, it's one of these ones. Uh-huh. However, a hair identified as belonging to a black man was later recovered from a sheet wrapped around one of the victims. Okay. None of the um, three boys I mentioned earlier and the subsequent two men were black okay so okay so police were looking at the evidence and decided that the crime had cult overtones i suppose because of the hog tying and whatever stripping and such yeah i don't really know how they got to cult immediately but i think there were like possible knife wounds that kind of thing so i think it was like possibly ritual okay 
that yeah, that would make sense, I, I guess, sp- in this kind of context. I suppose as well if there were three of them. Yeah. You know? I, I don't know. So since Damien Etchells, the one that I mentioned earlier, had an interest in occultism, they questioned him. He was interviewed two days after the bodies were discovered and took a polygraph test. Apparently his results came back that he was deceiving them when talking about the murders. Damien also mentioned that one of the victims had wounds to the genitals, which the police saw as incriminating, because he shouldn't have known that. Oh, wow. So he knew that, but they didn't tell him that? Yeah. That's incredibly interesting. However, not much happened from here until June 3rd, when they interrogated Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. They interrogated him on his own, despite the fact that he was a minor, with an IQ of 72. Okay. Yeah. His dad had given permission for him to go to the station, but not for him to be questioned or interrogated or anything. Are they allowed to do that? No, not even a bit. That's not legal. He was questioned for 12 hours, and only 46 minutes of that were recorded. Oh, brilliant. Love that. He confessed in the the 12 hours, but understandably recanted this. He said he was intimidated, coerced, fatigued and threatened by the police. He also said that although he was informed of his Miranda rights, he didn't understand them. That's fair enough. There is a lot of sort of uh, cases where people do that, isn't they? Because the police are like, if you say this, you can go. Yeah, they can offer you like false plea deals and stuff. Also, if you're a child, probably just want to get out of there. And if your IQ is 72. Yeah, I can imagine that's just all round a very stressful experience. Yeah. So from here, Damien and Jason were arrested because he'd incriminated them, I suppose. So there's also a woman called Vicky Hutchison that played a part in collecting some of the information to aid the trial of the three boys. On May the 6th, so the day the bodies were found, she was taking a polygraph exam, but it wasn't for the murders. They just, I guess, they use polygraph exams for literally everything here. It was because she'd been accused of stealing money from her employer, so she was taking a polygraph for that. While she was doing this, her young son Aaron was messing around, and because he was messing around so much, it basically meant that the polygraph test couldn't be performed accurately. They just had to scrap it. Because her son was just running around like a lunatic. <laughs> Jesus Christ. While he was messing around, though, he told the detective that the boys that were missing, that he was also playmates with, had been killed at the playhouse. Ooh, it's always really interesting when kids say things like that because, mm-hmm. like, they have no reason to. Yeah. Yeah, even if they've heard, you know, because at that point the bodies weren't even found yet. Well, I think a lot of the time as well, kids, a lot, like, I mean, most children, I would say, don't really understand how severe situations are. Mm-hmm. So they'll just be like, oh, I saw this thing happen. Anyway, I'm going to go do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. They won't realise, like, this is incredibly incriminating. <laughs> yeah. Aaron told the detective where the bodies were, and when the bodies were found near there, they were, like, literally steps away from this kid had said. Wow. So the detective came back to ask for more information. Aaron said that he had seen the murders and that they were committed by Spanish Satanists. Okay, that's very specific. Mm-hmm. Although there was no playhouse near the location. There was, like, nothing near it. It was by a muddy creek. So 
And also, Aaron couldn't pick out any of the three arrested boys of a lineup. So they weren't involved in it? Who knows? You do. Mm. This wasn't the end of Vicky Hutchison helping, though, as she agreed to let police bug her home while she conversed with Damien Etchells, who's, you know, the main one that they're trying to go after at the minute. Yeah. During the conversation, though, he didn't say anything incriminating. Police went on to say that the audio was inaudible. However, Vicky said it was audible. He just didn't say anything incriminating. Then on June 2nd, Vicky told police that two weeks after the murders, she, Damien and Jesse went to a Wiccan meeting together. She said that here, Damien got drunk and bragged about killing three boys. She later said that she'd implicated the boys to avoid facing the criminal charges for the theft she was being polygraphed for, and so that she would get the reward for the discovery of the murderers. So she was writing them out, basically? Yeah. Even though they mightn't have done it? Yeah. What happened to the ice cream man? Is he not a suspect anymore? They literally just dropped it. They dropped that and Mr Bojangles. Okay, seems kind of dumb. Well, there's so much... Mr Bojangles covered in blood? There's so much dumb stuff, Ab. Get ready. You always tell me these infuriating crime stories. (laughs) Yeah. Normal ones are just a bit boring, aren't they? All three of the boys were sent to prison after their trials. Okay. Jesse, Damien and Jason. Sure. After the sentencing, though, there were still some issues that needed to be addressed. Most of it was addressed by Dan Stidham, who was Jesse's former attorney. He said the crime scene was literally trampled, especially the creek bed. So they'd just all gone charging in there without sorting anything out. The bodies had been removed from the water before the coroner arrived, which obviously shouldn't be done. And then police left the bodies on the creek bank, where they decayed and were exposed to sunlight and insects. That is horrible. Mm -hmm. That's not only shoddy police work, but also really disrespectful. Yep. The police also didn't call the coroner until two hours after they discovered the shoe, which meant that the coroner then turned up late because he had no idea that anything had been found. This is ridiculous. They also failed to drain the creek quickly enough, thus meaning they couldn't get any evidence that was in the water. As well as this, there was a small amount of blood at the crime scene which was never tested. For real? Then, from here, the police records were an actual mess. Someone said to call them disorganised would be an understatement. They were a mess. And they failed to stop any leaks from the press about the ongoing case. However, instead of them asking for help since the crime was so big, they actually turned down an offer of help and consultation from the violent crime experts of Arkansas State Police. Why? I don't, I couldn't tell you. It was so bad that some of the evidence wasn't bagged properly. Instead, some of it was stored in paper sacks from supermarkets. Maybe it's a cover-up. With the supermarket name printed on the bag. Obviously, this is not good. You want to know. You want to know. The, the container has come from a place of known and controlled origin. Oh, yeah. Obviously. You think it's a cover-up? It could be. Of what? I don't know, maybe one of the police was involved in it. Fair. I'll hear the rest of the story first, but it does seem really bad. Like, there are a lot of bad police work out there. You know, obviously not all police work is bad, but, like, there are so many 
yeah. examples of bad police work. Especially small town police work. Yeah, they just do not know how to handle it mm-hmm. and they refuse to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's none of my business how things go down, but it is incredibly annoying mm-hmm. listening to it's it. It's so frustrating. But this is really bad. Like, next level bad. Mm-hmm. So, maybe it was a cover-up. Also, there was some confusion because it was basically debated for years whether there were any bite marks on one of the children's bodies. How do you debate a bite mark? I don't know. It was on his forehead. I can't remember which child it was, but it was on one of their foreheads. So I don't know how they how they were confused. It was concluded later that the marks, if the marks in question were bite marks, they definitely did not match the teeth of any of the three boys that were convicted. Lovely. Yep. So since then, there was some new evidence. So, John Mark Byers, who is the adoptive father of Christian, who was one of the victims, gave a knife to a cameraman on the 19th of December 1993 as, like, a gift. So, whole camera crews came for a documentary. It is called... One second, please. I didn't write it down there. Just sing your little song. You are on hold. We'll be with you shortly. Oh my god, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you it later. But there was a documentary made, and it was to do with these murders and the boys going to, to jail and everything. So one of the cameramen was there. And I guess he liked him because he gave him this knife as a gift. Ah, while they were recording the first Paradise Lost feature about the murders. So it's called Paradise Lost. I think there are three of them. So yeah. Who gifts a knife? Right? I I thought that was so weird, but... It's a bit of an odd gift to give. Unless you know someone that really needs a knife. (laughs) But if someone loves knives, (laughs) you shouldn't give them a knife. When the crew returned to New York, they found what appeared to be blood on the knife. It's a used knife. HBO executives ordered them to return the knife to the police department in West Memphis. However, the police didn't receive the knife until January 8th, 1994. So, there's pretty much a month in between that guy getting the knife and then bringing it back. Possibly because they had to fly or whatever. I don't know. When it was received, though... Mark Byers was uh, John Mark Byers was questioned. He said the knife had never been used. So the camera guy must have used it. Then when blood was found, he said he had used it, but only once to cut up some deer meat. Okay. Then when the blood matched his and Christopher's blood type, he said he had no idea how blood had gotten on the knife. Maybe the deer has the same blood type as you. During the questioning the police said to him, maybe you left the knife out accidentally, and Byers agreed. What? Later, he said he may have cut his thumb. (laughs) He passed a polygraph test, but it transpired that he was under the influence of a few psychoactive prescription medications that could have changed the results, i.e. made him calmer and look more legit to the polygraph test. This is baffling. Yeah. Tell me about it. That's obviously suspicious. But also, if you have killed someone with a knife, why would you give it to someone? Maybe he thought he cleaned it and he was trying to get rid of it. Oh, maybe, yeah. You want it in New York, far away from your house. 
Surely there's a better way to do it though than being like, have this as a gift. <laughs> I don't know. I do not know what he was doing. But anyway. So also going back to the idea that there might have been teeth prints on one of the boy's forehead. If it didn't match any of the boy's teeth, who did it match? Well, there's no answer, but John Mark Byers had his teeth removed in 1997. His teeth removed? Which was after the first trial, but before an imprint could be ordered. Of course. He's made some contradictory statements about why he did it, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Why did he have his teeth removed? Well, he said in one of them that his seizure medication gave him an underlying thing to do with his teeth, like an underlying problem. So he had to get them removed. And I presume get whatever they're called. Veneers. Yeah. In. But he also said like two other things. Is a bit sketchy though. Yeah. Oh, here's a knife gently used. I'm getting my teeth out now. <laughs> yep. As well as tooth marks, there was also the imprint of a buckle on Christopher's body that matched a belt buckle that John had. Starting to get worse for you, John, I'm not going to lie. But he said he'd spanked his son before he disappeared. I guess that would make sense. But my thought on that was, if it's an imprint and not a bruise... How long is it going to last? Uh-huh. Because there's at least half an hour... Because the neighbours were like, oh yeah, we saw them playing at half six. And then John phoned the police at seven, right? Yeah. So it's got to have at least been half an hour of them playing. And that imprint didn't leave. I, d- I guess it depends how long, how hard he would have hit him. But Either you're an asshole for hitting your kid that hard, or you're an asshole for murdering your kid. Yeah, I mean, it's not a win-win situation. <laughs> But if it is an imprint, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it would last that long. Surely, at that point, like, if you saw it again later, it would be a, a bruise. Yeah, I don't know. But what about the helpful information from Vicky? Oh, I forgot about Vicky. Well, she recanted the information she gave to the police because she said they told her that if she didn't cooperate, they would take her child away from her. Wow. So she said every word of that statement was fabrication. She also said that when she visited the police station, the employees there had photographs of Damien, Jason and Jesse and were using them as dart targets. What? No way, man. It's a cover-up. It's gotta be. (laughs) I'll, I'll ask you your alternatives at the end. We're nearly done, I promise. In 2007, the DNA that was collected from the crime scene was finally tested. None of it matched Damien, Jason or Jesse. A hair was found that was not inconsistent with Stevie's stepfather, Terry Hobbs. This hair was found in the knots used to bind one of the victims. Then in 2009, Pamela Hobbs, so the wife of Terry, the mother of Stevie, said that after the murders... My sister Jolyn and I found, in Terry's nightstand, a knife that Stevie carried with him constantly, and which I had believed was buried with him when he died. It was a pocket knife that my father had given to Stevie, and Stevie loved that knife. I'd been shocked that the police did not find it with Stevie when they found his body. I'd always assumed that my son's murderer had taken the knife during the crime. I could not believe it was in Terry's things. 
He'd never told me that he had it. That's a bit incriminating. She also said, Also, my sister Jolyn told me that she saw Terry wash clothes, bed linens and curtains from Stevie's room at an odd time around the time of the murders. That is odd. I think what's interesting with the parent thing, though, is like, why? Why what? Why would you kill your child and two of his friends? Well, first of all, it wasn't his child. He was the stepdad. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that no stepdad can ever be considered a dad. You know, that I'm not trying to offend anyone here. But I don't know what their relationship was like. Also, I read an article, I think it was the Daily Mail one, and it had said that possibly the kids had seen Terry and his friend doing drugs and then they'd beat the kids to kind of make him not say anything and then it all kind of got a bit out of hand. I guess, yeah. So, I don't know, though. It was just an article, so. So after all of this information... In 2011, the boys were released from prison after taking an Alford plea, which is basically when defendants can plead guilty while asserting their actual innocence. It's like a really weird plea. Law is confusing. Yeah. Well, they'd already served like 18 years. That's so long for something they might not have done. Uh I know it happens all the time, Mm -hmm. but like... Yeah. And there's been a lot of speculation about whether or not the boys should have been released, including from John E. Douglas, which you've you've probably heard the name somewhere. He's done everything. He's a criminal profiler. He used to work for the FBI, but he's an absolute babe. He believed the murders are more indicative of a single murderer intent on degrading and punishing the victims than a trio of unsophisticated teenagers. So the boys that were put in prison. He believed the murderer has a violent history and was familiar with the victims and the local geography. He thinks there's no evidence of a satanic ritual and that the knife injuries were just post-mortem animal wounds. The victims instead died from a combination of blunt force trauma and drowning in a crime driven by personal cause. Okay. Which could explain a parent having done it because two of the stepfathers or adoptive fathers or whatever have got things that don't add up looking kind of shady yeah Mm. but i mean the thing is no one knows if you want more information about it then see the paradise lost documentaries they're all about everything that i've mentioned and more damien etchells now lives in salem with his wife laurie davis and he's an activist working on behalf of those that have been wrongly convicted Jason Baldwin is now married and living in Seattle. He was the executive producer for the 2014 film Devil's Knot, which has got like Reese Witherspoon in it. Um, it's about the murders. So, but since then he's been out of the public eye, raising money to attend law school to work for those that have been wrongly convicted. Sounds like they might have been wrongly convicted. <laughs> and Jesse is still living in West Memphis. He lives with his girlfriend and he's working jobs in construction. Wow. So yeah. What an infuriating story. (laughs) I know. It's awful. I think the worst bit is 
that regardless of whether or not those three boys did it, no one is in prison for it now. Yeah, the the boys who were the victims didn't get any justice whatsoever. Their family didn't get any justice. Like, it was just dropped. Exactly. Why didn't they follow up on Mr. Bojangles and that ice cream man? <laughs> I do not know. I do not know. That's what's so frustrating. A man came into a place covered in blood and everyone was just like, this It was is a fine. mile away from where the boys were found. It's ridiculous. I know. So, how scary did you find it? How scary? I mean, there wasn't a lot of detail in terms of the actual crime. Mm-hmm. So, low. How scary was the police work? Terrifying. <laughs> Actually awful. Yeah. To know that if that kind of thing happened and you, your, you and your body were treated that badly is insane. And children as well. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Probably about three. Fair enough. Yeah, it was awful. I was reading it and I was like, no, come on. Like, how? How How are you that awful? It is mind-blowing. And Mind-blowingly I know it was, awful. And it was only in the 90s. It wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, there was no excuse, really. There was no excuse. Yeah, and the fact that they turned down help from violent crimes. Uh, what? What Why? are you doing? You're obviously not doing a very good job. What's the danger? How dangerous? Mm-hmm. I mean, five people died. Fair enough. And whoever did it is on the loose, so. Yeah, definitely. Watch out, Arkansas. Please, God. Is the... Any other... <laughs> I was about to ask you what the likelihood is. Like, it didn't actually happen. Okay, my alternate explanations are Mr. Bojangles did it. The ice cream man did it. These are going to look so weird on Instagram for those that haven't seen it. Those dads did it? Like, together? Yeah. I mean, it would make... Okay, so Mr. Bojangles could have done it because he was covered in blood um, and he was close to it and they didn't do any testing, so it could have easily been him. Well, yeah, it it totally could have. I do not understand why they did not follow up on that because could have easily been him exactly it could have been the ice cream man we already discussed that Mm -hmm. but they didn't rule him out because they didn't do any tests so who knows could have been uh the dad's because it's pretty suspicious that he got his teeth out and that he gave that knife away that gently used knife away (laughs) gently used with his own blood on it or or the child's blood Uh and he gave it to a cameraman that's re- that's really weird. Why? For what? And the other dad had a knife. The other dad had that knife and never mentioned it to his wife. Uh-huh. Who lost her son. You would. Yeah, 100%. You'd be like, here is his knife that he cherished and loved. Yeah, I have it. Now yeah, like maybe it, I took it off of buried. him. Especially because if she if she's had to bury her child, which is absolutely awful, and she assumed that it had been buried with him, so she must have mentioned it to somebody, I want him to be buried with his knife. Because it wouldn't accidentally get buried with him. You know what I mean? So he must have known that she wanted to be buried with him. Yeah, well, like, she would have got any personal belongings of the boys. Because that's what happens when someone dies. You get the personal belongings. Yeah. So she would have known that the knife wasn't there on him. And she would have known that he wasn't buried with his knife. Because, like, she didn't put the knife there. You know? 
Yeah, if she thinks that the killer has it, surely she would have voiced her upset, like being upset with that because, you know, of that reason or that she wanted to be buried with him. It's odd that he wouldn't have brought that up and been like, oh, actually, I have it. Do you want it? Yeah. Do you want me to bury it with him? Yeah. Well, she she doesn't it? think it was those three boys at all. I don't think it was those three she boys. She was like, I'm not upset that they're out because, yeah, I don't think it was them. Also, no, I don't think it was Johnny them. Depp doesn't think it was them. Random, okay. He, he helped raise money for the boys, for publicity, for the boys. Like, there was, it was a huge movement because the police just pinned it on him. Yeah, there wasn't, there didn't seem to be any information on on why that happened, really, rather than them pinning it on him. Which leads me to my next thing, which is that this is a cover up. <laughs> okay, like someone in the police did it? Someone in the police did it. Or uh, were any of the police Spanish men, like that child said? Did they ever look into that? I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. The child also made some contradictory statements. No, but did they look into it? I don't know. I just if don't a child know. says something like that, surely you should. If anyone says something like that, surely you should at least consider it. Yeah, they well, found I, different I, kinds of hairs at the crime scene. Like, shouldn't they have been like, or oh, maybe it was this person? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is weird. It could have been a cover up because everything was handled atrociously, and then they rejected the help, which is odd. If people are if young boys or anyone has lost their life and you can't figure out who did it. You Why need to be pursuing get... literally every single... Yeah, they mishandled the bodies and the evidence, which is, again, entirely disrespectful. But that thing about the dartboards... Yeah. ...is insane. When um, Damien's <coughs> social worker, I believe, because obviously he'd had some issues before, like I said, with like burglary and whatever. When his social worker came into the picture with all of this because obviously they would have interviewed him and been like how much does Damien suck um he was like oh he's finally killed someone so I don't know maybe they all knew him as kind of a little shit so they were like well it it won't be too bad if he's off of the streets you know possibly or it could have been that this was a cult and involved in the cult was Mr. Bojangles, the ice cream man, those two dads, and a police officer. And the police officer was like, don't worry, everyone. I'll get rid of this. I'll sort it out for you. It could well be. It could have been. Like in Hot Fuzz, where everyone's in on it. That's what I was thinking. Because it is strange that lots of different evidence matches up. Especially, you know, if we ignore the ice cream man and Mr. Bojangles, because we don't know what they did. Mr. Bojangles could have had a rough night. I mean, it could be that once they'd got, you know, the blood test or whatever back that it just didn't match them but it didn't say in my sources what happened to them from there they could have been pursued i just don't know i think the knife thing and the biting teeth removal thing from both parties of the fathers is extremely suspicious but i do think that the police work is next level suspicious how do you mess up that bad it's not the first time it's been done though it's true and i doubt it'll be the last and it sucks because not all police are awful. Some of them are great at their jobs, you know, and it's just, it's that thing. Again, small town police work. It's hard. If you've not had something like this before, yes, okay, to make that many mistakes, it's pushing it a bit. 
you've got to really try to mess up everything. But I'm sure it was next to impossible for them to even know what to do next. I'm sure, but... Yeah, I think it could have easily been a cover-up. I could. I think it could have easily been, you know, someone in the police force who was like, we need to ignore this, cover it up. Or it could have been that they were really good friends with one of the dads who did it, and we were like, okay, it's okay, we'll cover yeah. it up, you know? Yeah. It could just be that it was bad police work, but it does all seem really quite... How do you mess up that bad, you know? Yeah, all of the extra evidence plus the poor police work. Is sketchy. It is sketchy. And, and those mild threat explanations. Fair enough. They all make sense. Mr. Bojangles, Ice Cream Man, Dad's cover-up of the police, and a cult consisting of all of the above. Yeah. Fair enough. What do you think? Before we finish this I just... long, long episode. Yeah, sorry it's been so long. Um, I just don't know. I think probably the Dad's... But I just don't know. Because those are the two dads. One of them is the one that phoned the police. And the other one is the one that the neighbours saw coming out the front and yelling for the kids to come inside. Which can be seen as good parenting. And it can be seen as a cover-up. You know, as like an alibi. Like, oh, I couldn't have done that. I was yelling for the kids to come in. Ask any of the neighbours. Yeah, that is quite a... So... It's a good alibi. Exactly. It also makes you look like a good parent as well. Yeah, like phoning the police. like. Well, he didn't do it. He's the one that let us know they were missing. A lot of people do that when they commit a crime. Exactly. They'll be like, oh my god, I've lost my wife. Yeah. Really, they've killed their wife or whatever. Yeah, so... Probably the dads, but again, I don't know. I hope that they figure it out at some point ever. Me too. (laughs) It's so unfair for things that this happen. And then they probably just get forgotten about. They just close it. Well, it's just a cold case at that point, isn't it? If it's happened in the 90s, yes, new information was found. I think it was only in 2011 that some of those things were found. So it really wasn't that long ago. But probably is just a cold case. And maybe we'll never know. Things like this make me want to, like, just drop everything I'm doing and become a detective. So I can figure it out. No, I'd get get way too invested in all of them. Yeah, you'd never be able to close a case, ever. No. I would be searching for answers forever. And I would get annoyed talking about things like this make me so annoyed i can't imagine being like this is my job you know well on that negative note don't listen before bed listen before bed